Welcome back to the Middle of Culture. This is episode 12, and I'm one of your hosts, Peter Jones. And I'm your other host, Brayden, also a Jones. You know, I thought we'd go with the last names this time just to mix it up a little bit since we kind of didn't last week, but then we kind of did. So, I mean, I guess it was two weeks ago, but. It's always fun well, to give it a try. That's right. Well, how have you been, Brayden? Anything uh, big changes? Anything new you want to mention on the pod? Uh, no, the only thing that I will mention pop culture wise, uh, since last we chatted, uh, I watched the first episode of Ms. Marvel yesterday and, uh, so did I. I'll just say that the texting scene was brilliant and that <laughs> list, dear listener, go watch and you'll understand what I meant. And all I'll say about it is I found it absolutely and utterly delightful. I, oh, I, sir, not- I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I am not familiar with Miss Marvel from the comics. I know who the character is and I did try and play a certain portion of the uh, Avengers game that was released a few years ago by Square Enix. Uh, did not succeed in finishing it because it was kind of rough, but it was um, rough. I played it in one sitting. It wasn't very long. I think I, I just remember getting really frustrated at some level. I think it was, I was playing as Hulk and there was a bunch of aim characters around and I don't know. I I was like, this is not, I'm not, it was not, it was not good. It was, it was the opposite of the guardians of the galaxy game, which was quite good. Uh, This was bad. Guardians was good. Yeah. It's on. It's on Game Pass. It's not that oh, long. I'm it's a like sucker. I already bought it. I own the stupid it's thing. Like, I just haven't it's played like f- it yet. Fifteen, maybe twenty hours top. So it's not a huge long game. It's one you can yeah, easily knock out in a few weeks. Uh, but it was fun. I really liked it. I thought that it really did a good job of of characterizing the the protagonists. Uh, whereas the Avengers game, Kamala was great, and the rest of it was bad. I think that was why I stopped playing because I was not at the time playing as, as, uh, as Kamala or Kamala. I can't remember which one. Cause it's like, I know I think, that we've I got, think it, the, you're right. It's Kamala. It's not Kamala because Kamala is Kamala Harris. Kamala correct. Khan is, is how they say her name. I always remembered that one was one way and one was the other, but I sometimes get confused, but yes, I, I do remember last night that it was Kamala. Um, no, yeah, I won't say anything more other than it, it was done. It finished and Gareth and I looked at each other and we were like, dang, that was a lot of fun. So I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. I thought it was a breath of fresh air in some ways. It felt like it was just firing on all cylinders as a, yep. as a pilot to introduce people to a character that many people won't be very familiar with. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that's, uh, like I say, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it. Uh, I'm glad that it exists. It's, uh, yes, I agree that Marvel sometimes kind of, they, they do have a formula, but I do feel like, especially in phase four, they're trying to get out of that a little bit. And I see them doing some things that I certainly don't think they would have done and you know, a few years ago. And so that's exciting. I appreciate that. But speaking also, of Also, it sure feels like, before we move on, it sure oh, feels yes, like- uh, they really got shamed by the fact that it took till Captain Marvel for them to have a female-led project because oh, now yeah. in Phase 4, they're like, um, you get a movie and you get a show and everybody gets a show. So <laughs> and, you clearly know, they were shamed. Never, I suppose. And yeah, I'm glad that they were true. and I'm glad that they chose to respond in the way to go, uh, no, we need to do better, we need to do differently. So 
Agreed. So, like I said, let's talk about Marvel. A few, uh, a few, two episodes ago, we talked about X Men, uh, the uh, original X Men movie from back in uh, two thousand. So we're going to jump ahead a couple years, and we're going to talk about X Two, X Men United today. And uh, there will be spoilers. We'll go a little spoiler free at the beginning, but we're not going to spend that much time spoiler free because, I mean, come on, 19 years, statute of limitations is gone. If you haven't seen it now and we spoil something, I'm pretty sure that's on you. But let's start right off. Braden, what did you think of X2 X-Men United? I thought that it was pretty good, but worse than the first one. Interesting. Yes, I enjoyed the first one more. Very good. I am looking forward to uh, to hearing why that was, I think there, I'm here's the, the thing: the highs were very high. When this movie was yes. good, it was very very good, but it was not as consistently. It wasn't the the quality was not as consistent. I felt like as X X Men One was. Okay, I uh, I enjoyed it more than X Men One. I really liked this movie. Uh, when it was done, there were still some some things that I uh, I did not like that didn't work for me, and we'll definitely talk about those. But overall, I I liked I liked X two actually more than I thought I was going to because I remember thinking that I liked X two better than the than the first one uh, back when they came out. But I had not seen either of these in many many years. And so I was really curious. Uh, of note, uh, m- my youngest son watched it uh, with me as he watched the first one with me as well. And I told him, I think he can watch most of them, but he will not be watching Logan with me. That will be one that I'll watch without him because he is only 12. Um, that's fair. That's probably, that's probably <laughs> fair. I'm pretty sure that my wife uh, would have some stern words with me if I let my, uh, my 12-year-old watch Logan. Uh, but anyway. It's a pretty – it's a fair – it's not a – it's a fairly hard R. That's what I'd say about Logan. Mm-hmm. It earns yeah. its R rating. Some movies don't really earn it. Some movies you're like, I think you walked in and said, please give us the R. Like Matrix? Matrix doesn't yep, deserve that's R That's exactly the one I was thinking of. But, uh, and if they'd, if they'd have said, please give us the PG-13, they'd have walked out of there with the PG-13. But I bet the Wachowskis walked in and said, give us that R rating, baby. And they said, oh, you want it to be rated R? That's fine. Usually we're having to fight the other direction. Yeah. Uh, but no, Logan earned its R. Yes, yes, it did. So, interestingly, uh, he said when it was done, I asked him, and he said, uh, "I think I liked it more than the first one." So, he liked it okay. as well. But it was fun. Okay. So, um, you know what? That's it. From here on out, we're going to talk about spoilers. Talk us, yeah, t- take us through the plot, and then we'll get into uh, our breakdown of the film. You know, I'm going to go through the plot fairly quickly this time around and we're kind of going to hit the high points. And then for me, there were kind of a few, as I was thinking about how to talk about this movie, there were a few major set pieces where I was like, okay, there's these, these locations where key things happen. And and we can, I think maybe dig into those a little bit more, but, um, you know, we start off, we're in the, uh, we're in the white house and all of a sudden we've got nightcrawler introduced for the first time bouncing around the white house teleporting and gets in to attack the uh the president he's got a knife and then i think if i'm remembering correctly he gets hit kind of grazed by a bullet and that's enough to sort of get him to teleport out and and then we're over 
Mm-hmm. Um, we see Logan briefly examining, kind of looking at this military expedition where he'd been sent by Professor X at the end of the first movie. Uh, we get back to, uh, I'm pretty sure we get back to, oh, there's a museum scene where the X-Men uh, have taken the students to a museum and, you know, they're kind of, there's some horseplay there that leads to Professor X kind of freezing everybody except the mutants and scolding them. And then they find out about the attack in the white house and, and they exit. I don't know if I'm going to talk about it now, or maybe I'll mention it now and we can talk about it more later. This is one thing that bothers me a little bit. And I don't know if it's the movies, if it's the character or you've got Charles Xavier who really wants to present himself as this paragon of virtue and, and the righteous mutants and the peaceful, helpful, wonderful mutants. But man, the way he kind of F's with people's brains, uh, he's not is, a good guy. I was going to say it's, uh, it's kind of terrifying. Like, uh, yeah, I thought literally the exact same thing when he shuts down everyone in that museum. I'm like, Oh, he's a bad guy. He's just, he's a neoliberal bad guy. Instead uh-huh. of being a revolutionary bad guy, but he's still a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. And again, cause he wants to uphold, he wants to uphold the liberal order of things. And again, I'm not talking those of you who are listening. I'm not talking about American politics, conservative versus liberal. I'm talking about the idea of like liberal society. So like yes. egalitarianism, free market capitalism, all those sorts of things. That's who Charles Xavier is. He wants to uphold a neoliberal system but uses his powers in kind of gross ways to do so. Yes. Like that was one of the things that struck me on a couple different occasions is I'm like, you want to convince the humans that you guys are, are peaceful and nice. And that, yes, the, the, like you said, this egalitarian society where mutants and humans can live together, but boy, you act in such a way that I would want to lock you up just as bad as they want to lock Magneto up. So, yep. Um, briefly, we go back to the school, talk, talk, talk more about the, uh, the attack at the white house storm and Jean are going to go try and track this guy down. But you know, uh, professor X is having a hard time following him because he can teleport. Uh, we go back to the white house, another little scene there back to the school. Logan shows up. So the way I interpret this, when Logan shows back up, it seems like there hasn't been any interaction between Logan and the rest of the X-Men or the students in the school since the end of X of the first X-Men movie. Would you agree with that? Sure. But then everybody is suddenly like, Oh, Logan's back. I'm pretty sure that last movie took place over the course of two or three days, but suddenly everybody's like, Oh, he's back. And he's one of the teachers of the school. And you're like, excuse you guys just want, yeah. And again, jumping forward a little bit, y'all just watched him murk a bunch of guys <laughs> right in front of you. And then Which you're like, we're going to talk sure. about that scene because that scene, that scene. It rolls. Um, it's but yeah, good. that, that was weird to me. And then I think that that kind of follows up a little bit later. So there's the trip, it trip in the jet to go get Kurt. And then we meet striker and striker is the big baddie of the movie. And striker's got a bone to pick with mutants because his son is a mutant. And, you know, he feels like uh, that somehow Charles failed his son and that, you know, Charles not trying to basically cure his son and get rid of his mutantness uh, was, it was a big failure. So, so like I say, he's, he's got a bone to pick. We go back to Boston, we find Kurt, we go back to the school. There's some flashbacks there of Logan, 
you know, remembering little bits about his past that he's still trying to uncover. Um, we've got a, a few scenes in Magneto's prison, but we get there and we see that Magneto, not in great shape, uh, being drugged, it looks like, with a weird little dot on the back of his neck uh, by Stryker so that he's compliant and he's answering Stryker's questions. Um, then we get to, and, and in the course of that, we find out that Magneto has given up the location of the school. And so Stryker's forces arrive at the school. And we're going to talk about that scene more because I love that scene. Um, you know, then we get this scene where I just wrote down in my notes, metal in the butt. You know, we've got Mystique who now is, uh, full on Rebecca remain. I don't remember if she was Stamos at the time or not. doesn't matter, but you know, she's playing all sexy lady in this bar and, uh, she's followed this, uh, one of the guards of Magneto's prison and she gets him all hot and heavy and then drugs him and then stabs him in the butt with some liquid metal so that the iron content in his blood is much higher. That'll be important a little bit later. Uh, then we get professor X who now has been captured and is trapped, uh, by striker and they're at some weird base somewhere. Uh, some of the X-Men escaped in the jet. Uh, well, they, they escaped the school and then got picked up in the jet by Gene and Storm. And they go to uh, Bobby slash Iceman's house. There's a whole little scene there. We get back to Magneto's prison where the guard comes in and Magneto can sense the extra blood in his body, pulls it all out of him to make three bullets. And then somehow those bullets are able to also turn into great big flat saucers, plates that he can stand on and walk. But whatever. I thought that scene was cool. Uh, plane ride now. We got Kurt in there. We got Bobby's house. There's a big fire because Pyro kind of gets a little grumpy. And then we've got Professor X getting visions fed to him. And we find out that they're at this base in uh, Lake Alkali Lake, which is actually where Logan was at the very beginning. The plane gets attacked. Magneto kind of helps them and uh, saves the plane with his magnetism powers talks to them. They all go to Alkali Lake. Then there's a whole big fight, fight, fight at the base. Uh, Magneto wants to kind of uh, kill all the normal people where Stryker was trying to kill all the mutants. And then we get some Wolverine versus Stryker scenes. And then we get the big climactic thing where basically the dam that's creating Alkali Lake because Gene and uh, a, a mind-controlled uh, Cyclops had a little fight and did some damage to the dam and it cracks and then we get the X-Men all taking off in a scene that has uh, some of my problems with this in it at the very end, where Jean holds the water back just enough that the plane can take off and then she gets swallowed in the water. And then we have this emotional scene where everybody's heartbroken that Jean's gone. And then all of a sudden, we've got Professor X being a bad guy again and basically mind controlling everybody in the white house so that he and the X-Men can sneak into the oval office, confront the president and tell him, Hey, we're not dangerous. We're not bad. We're good guys. Look at how we have completely manipulated the weather outside of your house. And we've frozen everybody here and we're controlling their minds. See, we're not a threat at all. And then they leave. And then basically we're at the end of the movie. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the scenes, uh, some of the things that you thought really worked, some of the things that didn't. And for me, the first thing I'm going to say that the scene that really worked is that attack on the school with strike. That's the best. That that's the, the highlight of the film by far. Yes, it definitely is. I love the fact that they let Wolverine really just go for it. I mean, we don't get any blood because it's PG 13. Oh, he, like I said, he murks. He murks a bunch of dudes. 
oh, he is just, he, he is slashing. He is stabbing. He is, I kind of, at one point I turned to Gareth and I said, this is what lots of the movie Logan is like, but they don't hide the blood from you. You see it all. Yeah. That is true. So, no, I liked that scene and it was, well, and it was it an was, interesting way to showcase, um, who at, at least in cameo form, who some of these other kids are, because the one, one of my complaints with the film is that it's too big of a cast. There's too many characters, too many plates spinning. And so a lot of people get short shrift in it. Yes. I agree with that. But I do like that in that scene, you get little vignettes of people. You get shadow cat, not, not the shadow cat we see in the next movie, but whatever shadow cat falling through the base, falling through the floor and then running through some walls. Um, you see Colossus becoming metal so that the guy can't shoot him and, and saving one of the other kids you see not Banshee cause Banshee is a male character in the comics, but maybe some, maybe a female version of Banshee, you know, screaming and causing everyone to like, uh, you know, collapse because everyone. of her Good sonic guys and powers. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Ev- everyone is affected by it. Um, and you also get to see, you know, Bobby do some heroic business with his ice powers, um, which, you know, in the last movie was just, look, I made a rose out of, out <laughs> of ice for you. So, like, yep. he's coming into his own as a character, as one of the older students at the school. You see Colossus, like, being like, I can help you to Wolverine and him being like, you need to protect them. And yes. then you help never see them, any of that crew again. Me. You never see that crew again for the rest of the movie, but that means they weren't in the base, so they must have been okay. It's true. It's true. Because only, I think at some point it said they only ended up capturing, like, six kids or something. Yeah, enough to fit in the jet. Well, no, no, Strikers men. I think only. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Strikers oh, men yes. only had enough kids that they could all fit in the jet. Ian in the jet at the on end. the way on, on leaving. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Correct. But so yeah, no, that scene is cool. It's very cool, and I like the like detente between uh, Bobby and Logan beforehand. Because, yes. you know, the, the first movie really clearly sets up that Rogue has a pretty big puppy dog crush on Logan. And, you know, he's been gone at the start of this movie. He comes back and Bobby and Rogue have been dating, you know, or at least in the beginning, the, the beginning stages of dating. And yeah. so Bobby's like, oh, no, now this girl who I really like now the guy that she likes is back and he's like dog i'm i'm like an adult i'm not attracted to a teenager <laughs> yeah he's like a, a, i i just want to i just want to be grumpy and drink a beer but i work at a school so there's no beers in the fridge here's a soda can you make it cold for me so like <laughs> i liked that like you know back and forth between them him being like you know him just being like i'm just a normal dude i'm not going to steal your i ain't here to make your teenage girlfriend fall in love with me bro yeah I'm yep, like 120 no, I, years old. It ain't going to happen. That is very true. Um, I, I liked that aspect that the interplay between the two of them, because, you know, you see immediately when Logan comes back, you immediately see Bobby bristle when rogue comes out and she's all excited to see him and stuff. And so mm-hmm. you can tell that there's going to be some tension there. Uh, but I did, I liked how, how Wolverine just really quickly, like you said, he just diffuses it. He's like, dude, don't, don't worry about it. I I'm really not, it's not something you need to worry about with me. Um, and then he gets to just like stab a dude right through the shoulders and pin him to the fridge. 
And uh, then he just starts slicing and dicing. And it was great. Yeah. I really yeah, liked it. Yeah, was, it was a very cool scene. I definitely felt like it was the height, the highlight of the film for me. So let's talk about some of our new characters in this movie, new additions. Um, first, you know, the first one we see, we've got Nightcrawler. What did you think about Nightcrawler in this movie? Kurt Wagner. Um, I thought that Alan Cumming is extremely charming and does everything he can behind just a terrible makeup job because why you did mystique again, guys, you did it wrong. You weren't just like, we can just, we can just make their skin blue and that's okay. It's been working since freaking star war or star trek back in the 60s sometimes you can just make the characters skin a different color and that's okay but no they had to do the weird like ritual scarification like self flagellation stuff and it's like he's inflicted upon himself yeah that he's carved into his own skin and you're like that's not and here's again here's one of my complaints being a person who's read a lot of comics that ain't kurt wagner Kurt Wagner would never do that to himself because he's too cool and chill and like okay with himself of a guy in the comics to do that. Does he have okay. to deal with like the fact that he looks like a monster? Is that a problem for him? Yes, but he wouldn't inscribe like scars on his body. He would be like, man, it sucks that the world is prejudiced against me. He's like I say, I thought Alan Cumming did a very good job, but he was far he was more given. timid. Yeah, he was far more timid and like, that's just not who Kurt, because in the comics, again, you maybe haven't read a ton of X-Men comics, who is Kurt Wagner's number one person that he styles himself after? Errol Flynn. Do you know who Errol Flynn is? The most swashbucklingest dude in the world. I was going to say the exact antithesis of timid and, you know, self-effacing and exactly. And that is who Kurt Wagner wants to be and tries to be. He wants to be Errol Flynn. And that's who he is. Interesting. He is, he, he is a swashbuckler and that is not what we're given in this film. And like I say, no, I think coming does good all. work with what he's given. I really like him as an actor. I like seeing him in stuff, but the, for me, it was jarring to be like, that's not, that's not Kurt. Yeah. And see, I wasn't, I'm certainly not familiar with him as a comic book character enough to, to kind of, to know that. But at the same time, that was my big holdup with him. Agreed. I like the portrayal I just didn't like what was being portrayed. You know, I thought that, that Alan did a good job, but Kurt felt so, I don't know, weirdly, like almost inappropriately naive and childlike. And it just, that, that was the part that was weird to me. You know, he, he didn't feel like a fully formed adult mutant who has been, in the circus who was in the circus living on as his a own freak at show. the same time and, and all this kind of stuff. You feel like that character to be to the point where he is, should be much more matured than he yeah. was, than he was written. And, and again, some of it was right on, you know, he is very Catholic in the comics, but yep. he's also very assertive and brave and strong in like, like in his spirit, like he has a strong spirit and a strong sense of who he is. 
Um, and I felt like that was missing here. However, the powers look really cool. They did a really good job making the powers look real cool. And they used it in cool ways. There were neat things that they, they were able to use that for. So I, I appreciated that. I mean, I like the scene, uh, you know, in the plane when it does get hit by the missile and it tears, uh, it, it tears open. Uh, God, I'm forgetting. Was it rogue who gets sucked out? Yep. Rogue gets sucked out. Cause she couldn't get yeah. her, she couldn't get her buckled. buckle, her seatbelt buckled. So she gets sucked out and Kurt teleports out, grabs her and then teleports back in and you know, things like that. It was, it was cool the way they used his abilities. I thought. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about another new character who I'm just going to be upfront and tell you, I hated this character. And that is Pyro. Oh, yeah, he's terrible. So, and it's funny because I don't quite understand what they were trying to do with him. As you mentioned, full cast, a lot of people in this movie, a little overstuffed, and he felt like one of those that absolutely did not need to be there. You know, he. No, because all he does is be grumpy, fight cop, and lie. Yeah. I mean, he instigates the little thing at the very beginning in the museum that causes Professor X to, again, without any sort of consent or warning, just like control the minds of hundreds, it appears, people, which is just wrong. And again, makes me, like you said, kind of think he's a bad guy. So there's that scene. And then again, every other scene you see him with, he's just moody and he's grumpy. And then at Bobby's house, you know, Bobby's brother calls the police because these mutants have shown up and another bad line, not quite as bad as the lightning and toad line from the first X-Men. But you know, when Pyro says something to the effect of, you know, all those mutants you worried about, well, I'm the worst kind or something like that. And then he starts throwing fireballs at the police and everything and does, you know, a lot of damage doesn't ever look like he maybe kills anybody, but you know, I mean, he's, he's throwing big old fireballs, blowing up cop cars left and right. And some of them have cops in it. So who knows exactly what happened to him. And Uh then, you know, they show up with a plane and it's just like, Oh, Hey, cool. Come on, everybody get in. And then they take off. And that, that was a little weird to me that they just sort of up and, and poof, they go with this dude who just, you know, started blowing apart this little cul-de-sac with his, with his flame powers. And and then, then again, all he does is just be grumpy and then leave with the bad guys. Yeah. He literally does nothing else interesting. And then are we supposed to be concerned, surprised, disappointed that he chooses to go with Magneto? Like I was none of the above. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, cool. Great. Go. Then I don't have to see you as much. So yeah, he just, he, he did not work, uh, work for me at all. Agreed. And then I think, well, okay. There's another new character who I think what I wrote is, uh, they did her dirty and that would be, um, God, I don't even remember what her name is. Cause I don't think they ever actually lady death strike lady death strike. There we go. But uh, Done I wrote down completely Kelly dirty. Yeah. I wrote down the actress name Kelly who, and I was just like, they just did, they, they just did her dirty. I mean, uh, she has, I think now tell me if I'm wrong, please. But I think she has one line in the entire movie. The only it's thing maybe... she says, the only thing I remember her saying is when she's in the office and Mystique has gone in disguised as her is finding out some of their plans. And then she shows up. So Mystique now changes to look like the garbage dude. And she's just like, what are you doing here? That's literally yeah, the I only thing I remember her it. saying. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that's basically it. And then you've got this idea that she is not a willing participant in what Stryker is doing because you see this briefly and when, when Stryker's there and he's talking to Professor Rex and he's trying to kind of interrogate him and everything, you see her eyes are kind of changing and she's starting to look a little confused and Stryker realizes it and goes over. And again, same little spot on the back of her neck drops the liquid, uh, which we find out is like basically the cerebral spinal fluid from his mutant son. And it allows him to control their minds. And then instantly, boom, she's just like back at it. And so there's so much more they could have done with the character. But again, I think we're, we're in an overstuffed movie, but you've got her obviously again, this idea, she's not a willing participant. She fights Logan at the end and he stabs her with basically the injector gun for the liquid adamantium and just starts pumping it all into her body. So until it starts coming out of her mouth and her nose and her eyes and everything and it kills her. But again, you kind of see her eyes change as she's dying yeah. and she's no longer under control of striker. And like, I'm looking at that and I'm like, man, like she just got hosed in this movie. She totally got screwed. Like so 100%. much more they could have done to make her an interesting character. And they blew it every single chance they had. Yeah. I, I feel like it was a huge swing and a miss. Um, because uh, they could have just done so much more. They could have made her a willing participant. They could have made her so many other things. And like, I get it. You got to give Wolverine a threat that is credible because he is basically indestructible. And so another one of him is about as good as you can do. And again, is a well to which they will return um, mm-hmm. in far in better films in the future. Um, but, uh, I don't know. As well as worse films in the future. Well, also there's a (laughs) a lot of films and most of them have a Wolverine an ersatz Wolverine that is good and or bad. Um, But yeah, I, yeah, it was swing and a miss. I will, however, say Brian Cox was a delight is always a delight. Every time he is anything, William Stryker. Uh, Yes, that was going to be the next one I was going to bring up. So let's talk about character actor. Always great. Every time I see Brian Cox in a thing, I'm just like, yes, (laughs) <laughs> yeah my he, second favorite hannibal lecter he was very uh he does a good job of being menacing without seeming totally unhinged like he kind of feels like he's just sort of walking right on that edge of like he's got it under control or he's ready to like completely lose it again he played a really good hannibal lecter and you can see that when you say oh yeah i can see him as a hannibal lecter in Michael Mann's Manhunter, it's very good. Hmm. Probably the best Hannibal Lecter film. I don't. I haven't seen any of those. You know me. I don't like scary, tense things like that. That are Hannibal close the TV show is the best. That, that uh, can't handle things that are close enough to real life that they could actually happen, and uh, they're they're scary or bad because I am a I'm a weak-willed pansy little man who can't stand it. I don't know. Just can't do it. So I've never seen anything. I'm familiar, but never seen anything uh, about, I mean, I wow. know Silence of the Lambs, but never watched it. Never seen any of the uh, related properties. So Manhunter is very good. It's a Michael Mann film. I really like Michael Mann's movies. Um, and it's a good one. It's a very good one. But again, Brian Cox, um, very good. Good in everything. Yeah, he does a really good job. His, uh, his motivations are 
uh, a little unclear again, other than just my son was a mutant and that makes me angry. And so I literally want to kill all mutants. And so that's kind of the big thing. Like, you know, I know we kind of ran through it really fast, but the big sort of central point of this movie is Stryker has been building his own version of Cerebro and he wants to get professor X there, use his son to control professor X's mind so that professor X will go into this Cerebro, use it to find all of the mutants and then psychically kill them. Um, and, and so that's kind of his whole big plan. That's what he's working towards. And so it seems a little, I don't know, it feels a little kind of, you know, mustache twirly and sneering and that sort of thing, but it worked because of the performance. I think at least for me, it did. Agreed. One thing I will say about this film, talk about stealing Canadian glory by making a, an American military officer, the person who made Wolverine. What's Uh, up with that? Yeah. Nope. I didn't think about that. Did it happen in Canada? Yes. Was it Americans who did it? Stealing, you know, stealing, stealing (laughs) valor, stealing Canadian valor. That's, you know, Canadians can do war crimes too, guys. (laughs) Everybody can do war crimes. (laughs) And some people are better at them than others, but yeah, you know, everybody's, everybody's capable. Um, I'm thinking that that's pretty much all the new characters. So what are some other, were there other scenes or sequences that kind of jumped out at you that, uh, that you thought were worth bringing up? Yes. Let me consult, uh, my thing here. Um, and see, cause I did note some of the things, the assault on the school rules. Um, Kurt's scarification is dumb. This school <laughs> does not have enough staff. No, kidding. where's the rest of the staff? You you left a whole mansion of kids at a school with one guy who's been there for four days total and is literally an amnesiac murderer? <laughs> Again, Professor some- X, lots of judgment, lots of failed judgment on his part. <laughs> it's so true. Um, just, just some poor choices all around. Uh, the escape from... Uh, Magneto's prison is very cool. I thought that was a very fun way for them to get him some metal. Even if it is a little silly, like you said, about him using the ball bearings as bullets. It's cool looking to watch him destroy everything and then coast out on this paper thin piece of metal as he's flying out and just destroying and killing everybody and destroying everything. And you're just like, yeah, man, he's an Omega level mutant. He can do this stuff. Yes, that was definitely one of the things I wrote down again that, that I thought and that again, was excellent. And again, another really another really cool demonstration of his powers when he goes to the Cerebro and just pulls all the pins on every single grenade on every single one of those soldiers. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't have to fight them. I'll let them kill themselves. Pull out all the pins with my mind. Boom, they're all dead. Yeah. You know, and and Ian McKellen, I think, just, plays that character so well he's Um, just a great actor he's just a delight in everything and this is one of these things where in my mind and and maybe i'm wrong but and in my mind this would be one that he could choose to just phone in he's like ah whatever this is just a comic book movie but uh, i mean he goes for it and he plays it with with the sincerity and the gravitas that you need to kind of take this sort of again so many of these not just in the X-Men, but superhero things 
are a little ridiculous. And so you've got to have some level of sincerity and really just selling it. And I just think that uh, Ian McKellen does. And the thing I really liked in this movie is you see sort of three different, um, three different mental states that, that Magneto is in. You see him the first time when Stryker shows up in his prison and, you know, the one uh, guard, you know, smacks him with the clear uh, acrylic club. Uh, and then Stryker puts the little mind control stuff on the back of his head. So you've got him sort of cowed and, and being controlled by someone else. And then you've got the scene where Charles shows up to see him and you have him not so much necessarily, at least as far as we know, under that mind control, but enough to kind of let Charles know, I'm, I mean, I think he even says, I'm so sorry, but I didn't have a choice when he, uh-huh. when, when Charles realizes that Magneto has told him, has told Stryker all about the location of the school. And then you've got Magneto, the rest of the movie, who is just like you said, Omega level mutant, who's going to just do whatever he feels like he needs to do to push forward his agenda. And mm-hmm. You know, you've got him catching the plane as it's crashing with his powers and landing it. You've got him sucking all the metal out of the guard's blood. And then, like you said, you know, using it to just wreck stuff. Uh, and, and again, you've got him. I thought too, that was one of the other scenes that pulling all the pins from the grenades was just, uh, I mean, it was a brutal idea <laughs> and it worked yeah. and it was, yeah. it was very cool. So, yeah. I really, I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed a lot of the parts of this film. Yeah. My com- my biggest complaint is it just felt overstuffed. Yeah. Um, it felt like it, it was a little much. Again, one of the things I really liked about that first one is it was like an easy breezy 97 minutes in and out. Tells the story. No must, no fuss, no, no fluff. This one, yeah. again, you got pyro, which could have been cut entirely. Um, you know, there's a lot of scenes that could have been tighter or shorter. And it just felt like a little, felt a little bloated. It felt like they were like, hey, the first one worked really well. We can make whatever we want here. And it got a little Let's bloated. Let's just give you more. And sometimes uh-huh. more is not what we need. Because, and I mean, this one's over two hours. So this one is a full. Yeah, it's like 215. I, mean, I, think it's, I think it's like a full 30 minutes longer than the previous film. Yeah, at least. And uh, I do, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, sorry, I'm just looking at my notes now. Uh, Let's talk, we we briefly mentioned it when we were talking, trashing on Pyro. What do you think about the scene at Bobby's house? I I thought it wanted to work, but it didn't really work for me. Yes, yes. I think that... I, I mentioned it in the last episode where we talked about X one thinking, I remember being really, it being really effective. It felt less effective this time. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know why that was. There was, I, I did die laughing when his mom said, have you ever tried not, <laughs> not being a mutant? Being a mutant. Because that is like, that is a coming out <laughs> thing that parents say is, has you tried not being gay? Like, that's a thing. Yeah. Or have you tried not being trans? Or have you tried not being queer? That's a thing a parent's going to say. Yeah. Um, so it, it was really funny for the mom to say, <laughs> have you tried not being a mutant? Um, but yeah, it was weird. I think the I think the thing that makes it fail the most is that Logan is there. Because it's weird to have... 
a gruff teacher figure when you're coming out to your parents with your partner there like that's not how that yeah it, uh, but i'm with you in that like i see the intent and i can see again throw brian singer into the sun we don't need to talk about all of the proven allegations against him this is not slander because it's been proven uh-huh. uh, we don't need to talk about which kind of how much of a scumbag brian singer is but we do have to talk about that he is a pro- he was especially back then one of the few prominent gay directors and so yeah. for him in this movie to be like i want there to be a scene like this like when i had to come out to my parents is I understand where it's coming from. Like I said, sure. There's parts about it that don't really work for me, but uh, I loved that the I loved that it was there. Uh, if only because like making the subtext text about like yeah. so much of how again when the when the X Men came out in the '60s, the subtext was the civil rights movement. When the movies start coming out in the 2000s, the subtext is you know the LGBTQ movement uh-huh. and. You know, I I think that there are a lot of other subaltern or marginalized identities that can that the X Men can be used as a stand-in for in all those problematic ways we talked about in the last time we talked. We don't need to reiterate. We don't need to relitigate those discussions. But uh, uh, making that subtext text by having that scene there, uh, I think, is sometimes a really good thing to make it clearer for people who are maybe not picking up on the uh, on the allegory. Yeah. And, and that was, I think the reason that I found this scene a little disappointing because I did want it to work better for me. And I, and I can't necessarily put my finger on it. I think, you know, yeah, having, having in what is in some ways an, an embodiment of almost toxic masculinity. In fact, I think I wrote down that, that Cyclops and Wolverine are, is, are, are both kind of toxic masculinity personified. Uh, in this movie. Yeah. I think, I think that that is a very good way to look at both of them. The possessiveness that they both uh have the way in which they objectify the woman. They're both, uh, they're both pursuing in a lot of ways. Uh, Again, uh, Cyclops is the controlling manipulative half of toxic masculinity. And Wolverine is like the violent outbursting parts of toxic masculinity. Yeah, just like again, you know, just just machismo completely. Yes, start yes. to finish, and and so yeah, having him kind of there, I think, does take away a little bit from the scene. Um, and then you know, the brother, the, the brother, I think, really is the character in that scene who works for me the least because I don't feel like we get a good understanding of his motivations, and and we we can't really. I mean, like you said, this is already overstuffed movie. And so the way he's, you know, he just looks angry from the second his brother shows back up and, and is sitting there just like pissed and gets up and storms upstairs and immediately starts calling the police and stuff. I I don't know why it just felt like an overreaction. And perhaps again, I cannot, I am speaking from a place of ignorance and that I have not ever had the experience of, you know, for, for lack of a better term, just coming out in, in really anything, you know, again, I'm, I will speak of from complete ignorance in, in what that experience could be like. And so perhaps that is a a way that a family member has acted to someone and, and it just, I don't know, maybe it was the portrayal of it. That part didn't work for me. Um, and so I wanted, 
I wanted to like that scene more. I wanted it to hit a little harder than it did for me. Um, I wasn't really disappointed with it, but it just at the end of it. And then I think the other part too, is just the way it ends with Pyro just acting like a petulant little child uh, made it. I, I think that actually took away a lot of that scene in that. Agreed. Well, that's how it ends, you know? Well, and like they could have, they could have made it pop off in so many different ways. Wolverine just got a bullet to the brain pan. Like that should cause the others to freak out, but they don't freak out in like in a way that they would use their powers because Bobby and rogue are both just like, okay, we'll get on the ground. And then Pyro was like, I'm going to say a bad one liner and then start shooting fire. <laughs> and you're like, you could have made it as a trauma response as to why they're suddenly using their powers and freaking out these cops. And that would have worked so much better than the bad one-liner from Pyro because that, you know, they just watched, they don't know that he's going to come back from that. I mean, Rogue has seen him come back from some shit, but she's never seen him take a bullet in the brain. And so she doesn't know, she doesn't know his skull is made of adamantium. So it's not actually going into his brain. Exactly. He's fallen and he's facing away from them. So nobody can see the smashed bullet stuck to his forehead. Yeah. So if they had reacted with more like trauma and more like uh, instinct rather than, pithy one-liner from a shitty teen i think that would have made that scene a lot more powerful yeah well and i felt like pyro again does everybody else in that scene a disservice by basically proving to the brother who makes the call and is terrified being like yeah you're right you made the right call because look mutants suck yeah not all mutants suck but but that's what but Pyro basically reinforces all of the stereotypes against mutants that the family feels. Exactly. It ends with the parents and the brother, like them clutching him in the upstairs window as their son runs away with his gay friends because they've kicked him out. Like, okay, I get that. But like that part in the middle really ruined your metaphor for me. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. So I want to talk about, rogue a little bit okay i have problems with rogue in these movies because i feel like the movies don't know what to do with her exactly exactly she's kind of sort of the secondary macguffin of the first movie in that Uh the macguffin being you know somehow magneto's ability to mutate everybody and then she's going to be the one who will make her do it so it doesn't kill me but like she's in this movie and she doesn't do anything. I mean, at one point she touches a little bit of Pyro's power, right? She shuts Pyro down by grabbing his ankle and she makes her boyfriend feel weird. Um, because her kiss is too strong. Yeah. And we get, we kind of move forward and I have no idea. I don't even remember if she's in the next movie, which we'll find out in a couple of weeks. I remember exactly what happens to her. Spoiler alert for the next movie. They have the cure for mutant kind and she takes it. Oh, so she does even less in the next movie. Yeah. She takes the cure and the movie ends with her cured of her mutant powers. Interesting. And again, maybe, maybe this is because we grew up watching the 90s cartoon. So who was rogue to us? A rootin' tootin' hootin' hollerin' lady who can punch literally anybody anywhere and shoot yeah. fire out of her hands. Right. 
and flies and flies because she stole because she stole all of Miss Marvel's powers back in 1984, but yeah. I guess 82. But regardless, that's that's who she is to me. And so yeah. in these movies, she's a she's too young. B she doesn't have any of the cool powers from the comics and the shows that I watched and read in the 80s and 90s, and they just don't know what to do with her. They just she's she's just there because they're like. Well, she was in the first one, so we'll have her be in this one. But like you said, she doesn't do anything, and she does even less in the third movies, and in the third movie, and then we don't see her again. She's not, not in true. any of the other ones. Oh, that's not is true. that not true? If and this is the funny thing, if you find the there is a cut of Days of Future Past that is specifically called the Rogue Cut. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, the rogue cut of Days of Future Past exists. And it has been a long time since I watched that movie or the rogue cut. So I don't remember how she slots into it, but she is in a version of Days of Future Past. So, okay, we'll have to figure, we'll have to look at that when we get there. We'll have to look at that when we get there. I bet it's not on Disney Plus, so I will not be watching it because I just pushed play on whatever was on Disney Plus. Um, you know what it is on? It is on my Plex Your server. Plex server. <laughs> Correct. I it. it is I on it. my Plex. Both versions are on my Plex server. So you can choose what you want to do with that. Um, Good to know. Again, let's talk briefly about, I'm going to talk about a few of my other kind of minor problems with this movie. Uh, I feel like this is the same complaint I had with the first one. The power levels feel a little off. We've still yeah. got people who we don't have any indication that the, in addition to their other abilities, they have super strength and yet they punch somebody and you've got 180 pound people flying 12 feet through the air. I don't know how many of the people who are listening to this have ever tried to throw someone who is 180 pounds or more. Um, it is difficult. They yes. will not go far. I don't care how strong you are. They're not going to go far. And these people just fly all over the place. So that was a little bit of an issue I had with it. Um, I still, you know, getting back to, as I said earlier, when Logan shows up, we get the impression that between the first movie and now what we see, we have been privy to the majority of the interactions that Logan has had with Gene. And yet... He's still here just getting all up in her bit, like forces himself on her and starts kissing her without uh-huh. her being okay with that. And I'm like, that's, that's I called sexual under- assault. Logan. Yes, it is. James, and, and I, James Howlett. I understand that this relationship between Gene and Logan and Cyclops is part of the comics, but I felt like we were way too insistent upon shoehorning it in some way. And so it just comes across as feeling super creepy and super rapey. And that's where we get again into this whole idea of the toxic masculinity between him and then Cyclops, plus, who, like you said, just wants to control her. Plus then it offers a, another view of potential sexual assault when uh, Mystique pretends to be Jean Grey and goes and starts making out with Wolverine in his tent. Yes, I and you're like, that, that is scene. that is not informed consent. You are not the person that he thinks you are. Yes, you absolutely. are. All, this is another sexual assault. Come on, X two. 
Yeah. Yeah. Lots of problems for me with, again, it it didn't work in the first movie. I think it works even less in this movie. Also talking more about Jean Grey. uh, Why'd you kill her? Oh, so that's just what I was going to get to is the, my biggest problem is the way the movie ends here. So why'd you kill her? Well, and, and why, I mean, we're in the, we're, we're in the plane. The dam is breaking. The water's rushing towards them. The plane is not turning on. The electronics are all off. It, and somehow she goes out. She leaves the plane, goes down in front of this oncoming wall of water and then is able to turn the plane on. Now it works. Now all the, ma- all the electronics work and it's able to take off. Why did she have to leave the plane to do that? Like if yes. she was able to do that, why did she not just like keep your butt in the plane, hurry and turn the plane on. Don't waste the time walking down, going out, looking back wistfully yet mournfully at the plane and then flipping it on, turn on all the power while you're in it. Let everybody take off. I just oh. also, also, I know you got to change things in the movies. We were just talking about Ms. Marvel being great, even though they drastically, uh, reinvented her whole power set and basically turned her from a, a stretchy person to a Green Lantern, it seems like. Uh, she gets the Phoenix Force from space. It's a cosmic... <laughs> it's, a, it's a cosmic entity that uses her as a vessel, and that's what the Phoenix Force is. It is the cosmic idea of death and rebirth that inhabits her as a person. It is not just getting smushed by some water that turns you into fire lady. What? Well, but the weird thing too, is there's at least two instances in the movie where she is using her powers. And all of a sudden you see these like flames dancing in her eyes, hinting that Uh it's already somehow within her and it's just not fully released itself yet. But again, why, where does it come from? Why are they making this part of her power? And I guess we'll find out in two weeks what they decided to do with it, which I'm not going to lie. It ain't going to be good. After watching this and quite liking it, I'm really not super pumped to watch X3, but I am also kind of super pumped to watch X3. I'm excited to talk about X3. I'm not excited to watch X3. Well, I'm excited to sit there because... Because my, again, my youngest son, who's, who's been watching, going on this journey with me, he is not familiar with it. He only knows that I have said that it is bad, but I'm looking forward to him experiencing just how bad that movie can be. Yeah. So. I mean, Brett Ratner doesn't make very good movies, so. No. And that's definitely uh, not going to be one of those that's considered very good by anybody, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, to be fair, in this in this journey, we have talked many times about how there will be some real stinkers, and uh, <laughs> X three is going to be a real stinker, and uh, the one after that, X Men Origins Wolverine, is maybe even a bigger stinker. Uh-huh. Uh, so we got some real we got some real bad ones ahead for us. But you know what I'm really excited about is that, that we've got a couple that are uh, let's just say not good that you haven't seen. So I am looking forward to inflicting them upon you and then discussing them with you afterwards. And I will say this about our final step in this journey. Well, no, because I think Logan is going to be the, is the final one. I don't remember if it was actually released. 
Was it released no. before Dark Phoenix? There are there are three after Dark Phoenix after Logan. You got Deadpool two, Dark Phoenix, and New Mutants. New Mutants is the last of these movies. Okay, well, I had not planned on including that in these because I just don't know anything about it. I knew it existed, but it kind of got. I've heard it's very bad. I've heard it's very bad. We'll decide if we really want to go down that rabbit hole and watch that one. I wasn't initially planning on it, so we could we could choose to skip it and end with Dark Phoenix if we wanted. Uh, But let's wrap this up. Final thoughts. I will just say uh, yes. Before we end, uh, damn it! Now I forgot what my final thought was going to (laughs) be. Guess it wasn't important. Never mind. (laughs) If it comes back to you, just you know, let me know. We'll get it out there. Um, Oh, I I do remember now. Go for Uh, it. One of the things that I think is so interesting about this movie, or about this series, is it's again we live in the era of maximal continuity when it comes to film. Yes. You know, we live in an era where you got your Kevin's Feige of the world, most of which doing a much worse job than him, trying to usher these cinematic universes and keep all of the gears clicking together and keep all of the plates spinning and making sure that there's consistency and continuity in that so that if you see a character in an earlier film we're going to get that actor back and if for some reason we can't we're going to hang a lampshade on it so that when uh what's his face uh better than terrence howard comes in to take terrence howard's place when don Cheadle comes in to take terrence howard's place and do a far better job they're like it's me get over it to be like, ha ha. We all know that this has been recast, but that very <laughs> rarely happens in the, in yes. the Marvel cinematic universe. If they have a person, they come back. Did you see that? Uh, Hank McCoy was in the back scene on TV in one of those scenes. Oh yeah. That, that was not Kelsey Grammer being Hank nope. McCoy in that one, it but it will be Kelsey, Kelsey Grammer being Hank McCoy in the next one. Yes, it will. That's so. good casting. It is. That's one thing. I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to hate it again. I'm sure I'm going to be like, man, this movie sucks. But, uh, you know, Kelsey Grammer, Frasier Crane as the Beast, that's good casting. <laughs> I agree. I agree. If I'm remembering, it seemed like at least his casting was one of the things that worked in that movie. But again, many years since I've seen it. So we'll find out what it's, uh, what it's all about in another couple of weeks. But I'll wrap up by saying I really liked this movie. I agree that there are definitely some problems with it. It's definitely overstuffed. There are characters who, uh, who, who did not work very well or who they misused in, uh, in, in this movie in multiple places. But overall, I think for me, as you said, I think the highs in this movie are higher than the first. And I think that's what pulled it ahead for me, even though overall it actually, I think has more problems than the first movie. I think it was the height of those highs, things like that school scene where Logan is just going nuts. Uh, the Magneto prison scene again, Magneto in Alkali Lake pulling out the pins, uh, just a lot of little things like that, that were just at well and, and, uh, nightcrawler teleporting, you know, those, those things were enough that for me, I think it pulled it ahead of the first, but I do agree. I think it's got bigger problems uh, or maybe not bigger problems, but more of them for sure. I'm very curious to see 
if by the end of this journey I'm like, well, my two favorites were the very first one in Logan. Because um, that would be a pretty... I would not be surprised. That would be a pretty funny way for it to all pan out to be like the first and one of the very last. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to see how it ends and what we're feeling about uh, uh, all of these movies as we continue the summer of X. So we'll get back together in about, uh, I guess, four weeks, actually. We'll be talking about uh, about X3. And uh, shortly after we uh, hit stop on the recording, Braden's going to let me know what we're going to talk about in two weeks. So it was good it's to true. talk to you about this. I'm looking forward to talking about the next one because, like you said, not super excited to watch it, but very excited to talk about it and see just how much we can uh, rag on it and, uh, and go from there. How much blood we can squeeze from that stone that is X3, the last <laughs> stand. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think I'll just have to remind myself that we're doing this for the content. That's why we're doing this. So. <laughs> exactly. That makes hopefully, it all okay. Hopefully people who listen to it will be appreciative. And speaking of people who are listening to this, we thank you. Uh, please subscribe, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Uh, reach out to us at feedback at the middle of culture.com. Let us know if there's something you'd like us to uh, consider looking at down the road. And, uh, you know, uh, this has been fun for, for me to talk about. I hope you've enjoyed it, Brayden. And, uh, we'll look at talking again in a couple weeks. Yeah. Tell your mom that we're just a couple of good kids talking about stuff. Why your mom? Right. I don't know. Just tell your mom. And and speaking of stuff, this is the final thing I'm going to say. I don't know if you listen to this band. Uh, are you familiar with Septic Flesh? No, that's a great. <laughs> are they a gore okay. grind band? Because they should be with a name like that. Interestingly, they are not. They are a Greek symphonic death metal band. And when I say symphonic, I mean truly symphonic. The guitarist uh, and one of the uh, main members of the band who writes all the music has a degree in music composition, has four of his orchestral compositions uh, in the curriculum at Berklee College uh, School of Music uh, in Boston, and they record their albums, uh, they record the orchestral parts with the Prague Philharmonic Orchestra. So they had a new album wow. come out a couple weeks ago, and as they often do, there are generally a few versions that are pure orchestral. They leave out all of the death metal parts and they're full orchestral versions of songs. And so I've been listening to some pretty creepy, pretty haunting orchestral stuff that uh, I put on in the operating room and everybody kind of looks at me and then it gets sinister sounding enough that they go, okay, yeah, I guess I can see why you like this. So, you know, if you need something new to listen to, check out Septic Flash. Good to know. So until next time, thanks to those who are listening. And I'll talk to you in a little bit. Bye.